The following is a conversation with Michael Malice, anarchist and author of Dear Reader, The New Right, The Anarchist Handbook, The White Pill, and he is the host of the podcast, You're Welcome. This is a Thanksgiving special of the pirate and ocean-going variety. So once again, let me say thank you for listening today and for being part of this wild journey with me. And now a quick few second mention of each sponsor. Check them out in the description. It's the best way to support this podcast. We got Policy Genius for life insurance, Masterclass for learning, Shopify for uh, shopping, BetterHelp for health, and A Sleep for naps. Choose wisely, my friends. Also, if you want to work with our amazing team or just get in contact with me, go to lexfriedman.com slash contact. Like the movie, except I'm not an alien, allegedly. And now onto the full ad reads. As always, no ads in the middle. I tried to make these things interesting, but if you must skip them, friends, please still check out our sponsors. I enjoy their stuff. Maybe you will too. This show is brought to you by Policy Genius, a marketplace for finding and buying insurance. Life insurance makes me think of Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics. I, of course, think about the Roman Empire many times a day. Marcus Aurelius is one of the great emperors and also one of the great philosophers that came from the long history of the Roman Empire. A quote from Marcus Aurelius, dwell on the beauty of life, watch the stars, and see yourself running with them. He, like many Stoics, emphasized the importance of living deeply each moment that we get in this too short life and to meditate on the shortness, the finiteness of it, on death, that one day there will come a moment when we take our last breath. Thinking about this moment clarifies just what matters. Thinking about life insurance is yet another way for me to think about the fact that this thing ends. And you should contemplate the implications of that, the pragmatic and the philosophical. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. This show is also brought to you by Masterclass. $10 a month gets you an all-access pass to watch courses from the best people in the world in their respective disciplines. There's so many incredible options, many of which I've watched, many of which I haven't watched but can't wait to watch. For example, one I haven't watched yet that's in my queue is uh, Mathematical Thinking by Terence Tao. This is one of the greatest living mathematicians in the world. And him philosophizing about the big picture of mathematics, which is incredibly valuable, especially given the fact that he really hasn't done anything like this anywhere else. For me as a person that loves math, just, I can't, I can't wait. But the problem is, there's so many other options. That's the thing I really recommend is to focus 
and really dedicate yourself to a particular masterclass. And as long as you're getting value from it, keep going until the end. Don't skip around. Finish. Phil Ivey on Poker Strategy, I've uh, talked about Daniel Negrano, but Phil Ivey has uh, a poker masterclass. And that's another totally different orthogonal kind of genius. Even if poker is not your thing, it's just uh, fascinating to see one of the best, if not the best poker players in the world talk about how they think about the strategy of poker. All of it is fascinating. Anyway, get unlimited access to every masterclass and get an additional 15% off of an annual membership at masterclass.com slash lexpod. That's masterclass.com slash lexpod. This show is also brought to you by Shopify, a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere. And when I say anyone, I mean even people like me. It took me no time to set up a store and to put swag, to put some t-shirts on there with some Lex-related imagery for the folks who are into that kind of thing. I personally like wearing uh, t-shirts that celebrate a podcast or a band or, or a book, author. It's a cool way to start a conversation. I think I have uh, Space Odyssey shirts and Blade Runner. All of these have started conversations. People come up to me and it's an efficient and fun entry point into an intense passion-fueled discussion about a particular sci-fi topic or book or whatever, whatever we're talking about. And of course, I have band shirts, famous ones and not so famous ones. I have many Metallica shirts. I have uh, several Iron Maiden shirts and basically every other classic rock band. I have a bunch of Pink Floyd shirts, of course, as one must. If you pick up the guitar, you surely must own some Pink Floyd shirts. Anyway. Shopify is the way to sell those shirts and a place where you can easily buy those shirts. By the way, my Shopify store is lexfreeman.com slash store if you're interested. But you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lex. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lex to take your business to the next level today. This episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp, spelled H-E-L-P help. I, of course, every time I have to spell out help, think about Castaway and Tom Hanks, who, by the way, uh, got in touch with me and is considering doing the podcast, which he is one of my favorite actors. He has created some of the most iconic characters ever, some of the most incredible movies ever. I kind of aspire when I grow up I aspire to be Forrest Gump. But anyway, we all need help. We all struggle. Some struggle uh, a lot. And if you're listening to this and you're struggling, I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. And I'm grateful that you're here with us on this earth. We're in this together. I think there's a lot of ways to take your mental health seriously. One of them is to do regular therapy. And the thing about BetterHelp, it just makes that super easy to do. Talking in general, in all its forms, 
start a podcast. <laughs> Talking deeply one-on-one with a human being is really powerful for, for organizing your mind, the stuff on the surface and the stuff hiding in the shadows. As long as you're honest, deeply honest. Anyway, check them out at betterhelp.com slash Lex and save on your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Lex. This episode is also brought to you by 8sleep and it's pod three mattress. The thing that brings me a lot of joy, whether it's for 20 minutes or for eight, eight hours or for nine hours or for six hours, no matter the hours or the minutes, it allows me to have a cold bed surface with a warm blanket It's an escape from the world. Much of the turmoil, the chaos in my mind can settle down and be alleviated through a 20-minute nap. I'll sometimes pop a caffeine pill and just take a nap. And then I'll wake up in like 20, 30 minutes, like incredibly energized and just clear of thinking and all the troubles with which I went into the nap with are somehow gone to a different planet. Maybe every time you fall asleep, you actually transport into a different universe where the chaos in your mind has not yet had a chance to materialize. Unlikely, but entirely possible. <laughs> anyway, I, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, you can heat it up cool it down on each side of the bed separately. Uh, check it out and get special savings when you go to 8sleep.com slash Lex. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, here's Michael Malice. box yeah the mystery i'm wondering box. what's in it there's something in that box of exquisite beauty mm-hmm. both literally and in what it symbolizes and why it is here given the kind of human being you are i'm terrified at what you find beautiful that's a good point mm-hmm. you kind of hit me with the curveball yeah like for me the most beautiful like wildlife mm-hmm. are what i call uh god's mistakes yeah. Because my friend came up with that term where she's like, you know, God made these disgusting animals just threw in the bottom of the ocean. He's like, oh, no one's ever going to see this. Yeah, you uh, you commented on Twitter about some creature, like a, a rainbow type creature. The peacock mantis shrimp. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's horrific though. So it has, I think, eight legs, six arms, two punching claws or spearing claws, depending on the genus, uh, two eyes two antennae, two ear flaps, I don't know what they do. Um, And its punch can be as strong as a bullet. Mm -hmm. And the other type with the spears, divers call them thumb splitters, because if you stick your finger near it, it'll cut your thumb down to the bone. So I had one as a pet. All night, I would hear it banging on the PVC pipe. And I've got to tell you, they have the best eyesight of any animal because they see in like seven different ways. And when you make eye contact with this thing, it's it's just absolutely terrifying. But you can eat them as sushi. They call them sea centipedes. But they're colorful and beautiful. That species is, yeah. What was it like having one as a pet? It, and why did you do it? Well, when you have a species that's that unique and that much of an outlier, 
you know, growing up reading these books, watching these shows, I found this stuff so much more fascinating than like space, and which is, you know, dead. Um, so to be able to have this specimen in your house and just observe its behavior um, is just, just like an amazing thing. Why'd you get rid of it? I didn't have, I guess, the right minerals in the mix. It died. It had a problem molting once. Yeah, it couldn't molt correctly. Wow. You miss it? Think about it still? I do think about it, to be honest. I still have a pair of its cl uh, a punching um, appendages from when it molted. What pet animal in your life do you miss the most that has been in your life that you think about? I've never had cats or dogs growing up or anything like that, which... You know, I, oh God, my problem is Here we go. if I like something, mm -hmm. I will go down a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know if I got one tattoo, I already know my first five are going to be, okay? So I can't do it because then once I get those five, it's going to be a hundred and I'm already too old to be the tattoo guy. What would be the first tattoo? Um, My face? <laughs> Would, um, I, would it go on your ass cheeks or where would you put them? If it was my face. If I got your face, it yeah. would definitely be on my arm right here. If you had multiple faces, would you put like... I think delts, right? Shoulders, different faces and different shoulders. And then when like you, you flex. Symmetry. Yeah. Would you get a dictator? If you if you had to get a dictator, who would you get? We have the Kim Jong-il, right? Because hmm. I wrote the book on him. Oh, it's like plugging your book. I don't think tattoo. plugging. It's just like I have a personal connection to the opener to this the conversation. This. People would be asking why him, and then you'd be like, "Well, I wrote a book about it." Well, I'd be like, oh, "Okay, okay." Here, here's why. That would be a bad. Op no, that's not what happens. Okay. Here's the thing. What happens when you write a book about North? Hey, nice to meet you. What is it you do? I'm an author. What kind of books do you write? Well, my last book was on North Korea. Yeah. Ninety percent of the time, ninety, they will then start telling me everything they know about North Korea. And it's like, I don't need, this isn't a quiz, and okay. it's a very poorly understood country. I don't expect you to know anything. You're not on the spot. And and half of what you're saying is not accurate either. Mm -hmm. It's fine. How often did they bring up Dennis Rodman? Uh, 100%. 100% of the time. Oh, so you don't, do you know Dennis Rodman? Yeah. But I, I don't understand what, I guess people feel the need to like, all right, like now we're talking about this subject. I just got to, you know, drop whatever I can talk about. It's usually a small amount. And there's this thing in the culture, which I hate that everyone have to have an opinion on everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's okay to be like, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Tell me more, you know? There's lots of things I don't know anything about. What's your opinion on my bird here, Mr. Parrot? It's a macaw, scarlet macaw. What? It is a scarlet macaw. Oh, you know birds? Yeah. And that's actually not life-sized. <laughs> Are you saying he's not real? I'm saying it's not to scale. Okay, but he's real. Are we doing that Monty Python sketch? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a Monty Python sketch. I don't think Monty Python's funny. And I, you don't? I, at all. Like not that once. explains so much. Does it? What does it explain? What do you think is funny? <laughs> You're not answering that question. It's pretty funny. <laughs> well, yeah. What, what, what do you think is funny? Having a mentor shrimp? No. That, uh... Do you think Big Lebowski's funny? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Although. This is getting worse and worse. To be fair. Yep. I only tried to watch Big Lebowski after it's been part of the culture for many years right. to the point where every single line has been quoted incessantly by the most annoying frat bros ever. Yeah. So I kind of have been poisoned to be able to appreciate it. Right. So maybe if I'd seen it when it came out before it became a thing, 
I would have enjoyed it. I couldn't get through it. Like I couldn't get through 20 minutes. Is that how you feel about Schindler's List? Well, it's so much easier for me to stare at you when you have sunglasses on. I didn't think you'd be the one making Holocaust jokes today. <laughs> and yet here we are. <laughs> and cutscene. <laughs> I actually have like no trouble making eye contact with you when you're wearing shades. Yes, because you're a robot. Two, <laughs> two copies of myself. Yeah. Oh, you're seeing yourself in them? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm having a conversation with myself. <laughs> it's not your fault, Lex. <laughs> They made you like this. <laughs> you were just a good little robot in, in, in St. Petersburg. <laughs> I could see Mr. Parrot a little bit too. But what do you find funny? Come on, let, let's. This is an interesting subject. Well, I find Mighty Python. I find absurdity funny. Yes, I find absurdity funny. I, I think that's the thing when people come at me, and maybe this is an Eastern European thing. Yeah. When they're like, "How can you find this like very dark subject funny?" It's like, well, the humor. First of all, the humor is that you're making fun of something that's dark so already it's absurd mm-hmm. like it's completely inappropriate second just psychologically you know joan rivers said that winston churchill said i don't, I don't know if it's true that when you make people laugh you're giving them a little vacation mm-hmm. and i was just thinking about this the other day how when i die if i want my funeral to be a roast yeah it doesn't help me that everyone's sad if i brought people happiness or joy in life whatever I want to keep doing that in death. Your sadness doesn't help me. I know you can't help it, but tell stories of how I made you laugh. Make fun of me. Make me the punching bag. Even literally take me out of that coffin and be the. I don't make me a pinata. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So I I think and it, it's it's I don't understand. Well, I do understand, but it's sad for me when people are like, you know, this isn't funny. That isn't funny. I feel, uh, the way I look at humor is the way it's like a chef, right? It's pretty easy to make bacon taste good, but some of these really obscure ingredients to make it palatable, that takes skill. So if you're dealing with a subject that is very emotional or intense and you can make people laugh, then that takes skill and that's the relief for them. Yeah. It's all about timing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's the difference? You want to hear one of my jokes? (laughs) Uh, is it a pirate joke? Because that's the only <laughs> that's the only kind I accept today. But okay. yeah, go ahead. It doesn't have to be a pirate joke. Um, this one time. Do you know who Leah Thomas is? Yeah. What's there between Leah Thomas and Hitler? What, what? Leah Thomas knows how to finish a race. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> Did I just get the gold medal? <laughs> <laughs> good job. Uh, why does it take uh, pirates forever to get through the alphabet? Why? <laughs> Because they spent years at sea. Oh, I thought it was going to be an R nope. joke. That's a nope. good one. I like that. Yeah. When I was in North Korea. One... <laughs> oh, you know Dennis Rodman. <laughs> it's a callback. By the way, the thing that is very heartbreaking about the North Korean situation is that they have a great sense of humor. Uh, yeah. It would be a lot easier if these were like robots or drones. They have big personalities, big senses of humor, and that made it much harder to leave and interact with these people because it it's, I mean, there's nothing more human and universal than, than laughter and laughter is free. Are you saying there's humor even amongst the people that have most of their freedoms taken away? Especially, I mean, again, we're from, you know, the Soviet Union, like there's a anecdote, there's a, I mean, Russian humor is a thing because it's, there's nothing you can, this if you can't have food or nice things, at least you can have joy and make each other laugh. 
I think about it all the time. And I think about my guide all the time. It's been, what, uh, 2012? So it's been 11 years since I've been there. And she's still there. And everyone I've seen is still there. They just recently um, electrified the border. Uh, so you can't even, even the few people who are escaping can't do it anymore. But that's interesting that they still have a sense of humor. I attribute the Soviet Union for having that because of the uh, like really deep education system. Like How's... you you got to read a lot of literature. Okay. And because of that, you get to kind of learn about the the cruelty, the injustices, the absurdity of the world. Right. As long as the writing is not about the current regime. Yeah, but I think like if you look at like African Americans, Jewish Americans, gay Americans, they are all disproportionate in terms of attributing to comedy. Mm -hmm. It's not because these groups have some kind of, you know, magic to them. It's that when you are on the outside looking in, A, you're gonna have different perspective than the people who are in the middle of the bell curve. Mm -hmm. But also when you don't have anything to lose, at the very least, you can make each other laugh and, and find happiness that way. Um, so, you know, that is something that I think um, is an important thing to recognize. So what do you find funny? What makes you giggle, like, in the most joyful of ways? The suffering of others? I mean, I there are um, YouTube videos of, uh, <laughs> of, like, fat people falling down. <laughs> And they're, they're they're really funny. There's two kinds of people in this world: those that laugh at those videos, and those that don't. No, and those that are in them. <laughs> uh, um, no. My friend Jesse just told me a great Norm Macdonald joke, mm -hmm. and this is a good litmus test joke because he says a certain group of people lose their minds, and a certain group of people just stare at you. Mm -hmm. And he goes, "This kind of." And so I'll tell you the joke. This is Norm Macdonald. Guy walks into a bar. And he sees someone at the bar who has a big pumpkin for a head. Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, dude, what happened to you? He goes, ugh, you never believe this. I got one of those genie lamps. And I, this genie, he's like, well, what happened? He goes, well, the first wish, you know, I wish for $100 million. He's like, yeah, you get it? He goes, yeah. He goes, in my bank account, it feels fine. He goes, all right. Well, the second wish, I wish to have sex with as many beautiful women as I wanted. He goes, did that happen? He goes, yeah, it was amazing. He goes, then what? Well, I wish for a giant pumpkin head. <laughs> Yeah. So there's a certain mindset that will just be staring at the screen. And that is, I mean, there's so many levels why that's funny, at least to me. And I, I just love that kind of Well, humor. Norm MacDonald is like, uh, just, I watch his videos all the time. He's, he's a guy that definitely makes me giggle. And he's one of the people that makes me giggle for reasons I don't quite understand. Did you ever see him with Carrot Top on um, Conan O'Brien? No. I'm making fun of Carrot Top? No. He, this is probably the best talk show clip of all time. Yeah. He's on with Courtney Thorne Smith. She was on Melrose Place and Conan O'Brien's the host. And Courtney's talking about how she's going to be an upcoming movie with Carrot Top. And Conan is like, oh, what's it going to be called? And she's like, doesn't have a title yet. And Norman goes, oh, I know what it should be called. Box Office Poison. And they're all laughing. And she's like, no, no, no. Like the working title is Chairman of the Board. And Conan goes, do something with that smart ass. And Norm goes, yeah, board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> and they all just completely lost it. There's something about him with words spoken out of his mouth, with the way he like turns his head and looks at the camera. I think he is one of those rare comedians who you really feel like he's talking to you directly. Yeah. He feels like he's winking at you yeah. in the audience. 
And he's like, can you, can you believe I'm doing this? Like, it's, it's like he almost, he feels like he's, I don't want to say imposter, but like, he's more a member of the audience than he is a member of the people on the stage. Yeah. It feels like he's on our side. Yes. Whatever, yeah. Whatever the hell our means. You know, Roseanne got him his first job. Man. Roseanne, you and her been hanging out. I, I got it. Oh my God. Talk about Thanksgiving. Um, when you are talking to Roseanne Barr mm -hmm. and making eye contact with this person, it is, I, I can't even describe it. It's just like, holy crap, Roseanne Barr is talking to me. She is, I've said this to her face, pathologically funny. Like it does not turn off. And you're sitting there and you're like, holy crap. And when you make her laugh, which is that laugh that's in the theme song of her show, you, you feel like, okay, I did a mitzvah. I did something good and right in the world that I made Roseanne Barr laugh. Um, and it's also really funny because, and she's going to hate this, because I tell her she's adorable. She doesn't like that. She's little. Hmm. You think of Roseanne Barr as this like force yeah. of nature, like a tsunami. Yeah. She's like 5'3", I'd say like maybe 130. Like, yeah. and, she's just, and she puts on the sunglasses. You think this little Jewish lady, you'd never know. This is one of the most epic performers of all time. She lives near here now. So it's just so much fun talking to her. There was an old satirical magazine in the, I think like uh, early 2000s called Hebe, mm -hmm. written, written by Jews. And she dressed up as Hitler for one of the photo shoots and she was baking little men in the oven. Oh. I got, I found it on eBay. I wanted her to sign it to Michael, it should have been you. Yeah. But she signed it to Michael, you're one smart cookie. And now it hangs, love mom, Roseanne Barr. And I call her mom. And it hangs over my uh, desk because I have her like good domestic goddess energy flowing at me. What? What do you find? What else? So Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald. My favorite comedian that. is- We agree on something. My favorite comedian mm -hmm. of all time is Neil Hamburger. So Neil Hamburger, I don't know if I'm ruining the bit. He's a character uh, performed by this guy named Greg Turkington. So he comes out in a tuxedo, big eyeglasses, holding three glasses of water, mm -hmm. <coughs> coughing into the mic. Mm -hmm. And I remember I saw him once in um, LA and the girl ahead of me, at the table ahead of me was with her boyfriend, this basic chick, pumpkin spice. She turns to him and she goes, what is this? And I remember the first time he was on Jimmy Kimmel and he tells one of his jokes and he was like, um, uh, why does E.T. like Reese's Pieces so much? Well, that's what sperm tastes like on his home planet. And like, no one laughs and he goes, oh, come on guys, I have cancer. <laughs> And it just cuts to this Marine in the audience with his arms crossed. Um, so if you know what he's doing, yeah. it's just absolutely amazing. He opened for Tenacious D once in uh, somewhere, I think in Ireland or the UK, one of those. And they're booing him because his jokes are often not funny. He's like, hey, where did my uh, whore ex-wife run off to with that dentist she's shacking up with? <laughs> I don't know, but when I see her in court next month, Alaska. <laughs> So they're booing and he goes, all right, do you guys want me to bring out Tenacious D? They're like, yeah. Do you want to see your heroes of mine, Tenacious D? Yeah. Come on, let me hear it. Do you want to see Tenacious D? Yeah. He goes, all right. Uh, if I tell this next joke and you don't boo me, I'll bring out Tenacious D. And it's like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of one that's not too. Uh, um, Self-censorship is never good. Okay. He goes, um, can we agree 
that George Bush is the worst president America's ever had. Everyone claps. He goes, which makes it all the stranger that his son, George W. Bush, was in fact the best. I take it back in the self-censorship. <laughs> so two people laugh and he goes, oh, that's amazing. I guess I'll do an encore. And he did 10 more minutes. It was just, just like, I love him so much. It's interesting they opened for Tenacious D. Jack Black, that's a comedic genius of a different kind. Oh, yeah. And he was in one of my favorite movies, uh, Jesus' Son. It's this little indie movie. Um, he did a great turn in that. He's really underrated as an actor. He's got a lot of range. Like, yeah. I know they kind of kind of get typecast as this kind of one specific type, but he's really, really talented. But also just like the pure joy. That, yes. And that... He's clearly having fun. Okay. Uh, it is Thanksgiving. So in the tradition... Following tradition, what are you thankful for, Michael, in I this got a, world? Do you have a list too? No, not really. Really? It's up in here. Oh, I mean, but you have several things you're thankful for. Yes. Okay. Yes. One of the things I'm- My list comes from the heart. I don't have to write anything down. Well, I don't have it written down. Okay. One of the things that I'm most thankful for, this is a common answer, but I, I can back it up, is my family. Because my nephew, Lucas, is now six years old, and he- when kids have a sense of humor, it's like just miraculous. So he stole my sister's phone, his mom, figured out that grandma is listed as mom in the phone. And he calls her up and he's like, Michael's in the hospital. He's really sick. He didn't want to tell you. And she's freaking out. He goes, prank. So I, I took him, uh, Dinesh D'Souza just released a movie called Police State, which is actually really good. Um, highly recommend it. I was surprised how much I liked it there because he wasn't going republicans good democrats bad it was just about authoritarianism and he had a movie premiere at mar-a-lago so i'm like i gotta bring lucas to mar-a-lago so lucas is i'm like we're going to the president's house he's like oh the white house and i'm like no no like the, a former president he goes oh abe lincoln and i'm like okay kid logic like he's he's giving yeah. logical answers yeah. this is kind of like ai you have to you have to program it to, it's using logic correctly you should have told him as a president that's second to only Abe Lincoln in terms of <laughs> accomplishments. <greatness>. Yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, went up to all the women in their ball gown, uh, you know, evening gowns, and he goes, You're so beautiful. Were you born as a girl? <laughs> so when you have this six year old asking you this, it was really, really fun. Um, so that is a great joy to have a nephew. And I have another one, Zach, who's coming up uh, in age and he's starting to talk now. That is really, really fun. For Get, getting uh, to watch them, you know, find out about, about the world for the first time. And also training them. Like that he he want, he loves being funny and having fun. You're, you're his audience in a, in a sense. Yeah, but- Because oh, you giggle and- I, I give, he, We're prank bros. It gives me a high five. My family, and this is one, you talk about what I find funny. These are things that actually enrage me. When people, and this is such a wasp thing, don't just go with the joke or they're like, I don't get it, or they don't understand to just go with it. I was in the car with my sister when she was like 10, 12, whatever. She's much younger than me. She's like 12 years younger. And there's this species of squid, by the way, which is asymmetric. One of its eyes is very much bigger than the other because mm -hmm. it swims horizontally. And so one's looking up, one's looking down where there's more light. Uh, shout out. If you want to learn more about squids, go to octonation.com. Octonation, shout Oct out. Shout out to Warren. There's a lot of fascinating stuff. Octonation on Instagram. Yes. Um, I was in the car with my sister. She's like 10 or 12. Me as a pirate. I don't, I'm sorry for the rude interruptions. I, I appreciate that account especially. 
Yeah, it's a great, yeah. These jokes and thoughts are coming to me at a like a 10 second delay, so I apologize. Okay. Anyway, you were telling about the I, I know asymmetrical. Where I was. Don't worry. I got it. All right. Um, so I told Sometimes my- Sometimes you need help. No. The age is getting to you. <laughs> I was- uh... Your skin is showing it. <laughs> it's getting dark. I told my sister, I go, when you were born, um, one of your eyes was bigger than the other and you had to have surgery to fix it. So she turns, she's like, mom. And my mom goes, honey, the important thing is that you're beautiful now. That's all. It's like, what's the big deal? It was just a little surgery. And my sister's like, all right. Calls grandma. And grandma goes, uh, she goes, Michael said that when I was born, one of the eyes, she goes, why is he telling you this now? It's not a big deal. You were So the fact that everyone went with this, oh, was nice. I was so impressed. I was like, this is a quality family in this very specific regard. Yeah. Does your family have a sense of humor? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, Soviet culture. There's like a dark sense of humor. Very much there's so. There's wit. Yeah. There's uh Wordplay. Wordplay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially the Russian language allows for some like yes. um, hilarity to it. There's also a culture of like poetry and like uh, my dad, my mom too, but they, they remember a lot of lines from books and poems. So there's just you can do a lot of fascinating references that add to the humor and the richness of the. Of I the, feel like the that's a very Russian thing. Like at a party or maybe at a bar or something. I don't know where you'd meet people. These are such great I ice. Go out. I meant in Russia. Oh. I meant these would be such good icebreakers, right? You go up to someone, and goes, "Hey, did you hear this one uh, no and you just tell him some little story. Did you say icebreakers because it's cold in Russia? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here all night. That's true. You never leave literally. The house. So <laughs> I feel like that's a thing. Yeah, and that's not a thing in America. Uh, you, you mean like witty banter? No, meaning you go up to a stranger and like that's your icebreaker. You tell them this little little joke, and since everyone kind of has the same sensibilities, right away you guys are chatting. I don't think that's a thing here. Yeah, thing here it's more small talk, which drives me crazy. So what else are you thankful for? Well, what am I? What's something you're thankful for? Well, you went with family. I'm yeah. definitely thankful for family. Okay. Yeah. How, if I may ask, how do they react to you? Like you're sitting down with Elon, you're sitting down with Netanyahu, you're sitting down with all these like big, with Kanye, all these big names. Are they expressing that they're proud of you? Or is it more like, why haven't you talked to this person? <laughs> yeah. More Michael Malice, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The people's choice. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very proud. They've been very... They're very, I mean, but they get argumentative and we just, they're just like a regular human being with whom I'm close and we just argue about stuff. They're not, maybe not enough show the being proud of, but that that part is just the nature of our relationship. It's also Soviet parents. And yeah, I don't talk to my dad. That's one of the reasons because there's never, ever any um, good job. And at a certain point, it's like, why am I trying to, Search, search for approval from someone I'm never getting get it for and from whom it wouldn't mean anything at this point anyway. Well, that's interesting. I mean, there's a journey like that for a lot of people with their father or with their mother. Like they're always trying to find approval. And, right. And that, that's life for a lot of people. Yeah. That's that's a really big part of the human condition is that relationship you have with your father, with your mother. I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. So it's whether it's been a rough childhood or a beautiful one, all of it. That's who you are. Like that, 
the relationship, especially early on in your life with your father, with your mother, is like extremely formative. Yeah. So my that, dad taught me a lot of things at a young age that I'm very, very grateful for. Uh, he was he's extremely intelligent, very flawed, and that's fine. We all are, um, except for me. Um, and it's the kind of things that when you learn things at a right age, and this is one of the things I like about being older, is that when I'm friends, much people, older, much older, when I'm, <laughs> but much, much older, when I have friends who are younger, it's very easy for me to keep them from making the mistakes I did. Mm -hmm. So at least this is something I'm getting out of it is that, okay, I can't fix these mistakes, but it just takes me 30 seconds and I can pull you back from making the mistake. So he taught me a lot as a kid. He really encouraged me very much to, he's a very good sense of humor and also very bad in some ways, um, dad jokes, but also really funny jokes, but also this love of learning uh, he, that I got that from him. And I mean, I, I have got literally right now 98 books on my shelf to read. It's just a life that makes me, I remember I had a friend and she ran into someone she went to high school with and he stopped on the train and he's like, yo, you're not in college. You don't need to read books anymore. And I was just like horrified to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, don't I know it. I mean, I mean, I, I you do laugh, but like I, I when you got... There's a lot of things I don't understand. When you got heat for like, I want to read the Western classics. To me, that that might have been like the internet at its absolute worst. I think I think there's just a cynical perspective you can take that there. This is such a simple celebration of a thing that there must be something behind it. I think the internet, for good and bad, is just skeptical. Like, what's behind this? My hero, Albert Camus. And if there's one thing I would want to fight, it's cynicism. Yeah. Because it's such a giving up. It's such everything sucks. This sucks. That sucks. This sucks. Most things suck. Most stand-up comedians suck. Most movies suck. All podcasts suck. Um, but it doesn't especially matter. Especially yours. Especially mine. It's, it's unwatchable. You're welcome. You can't even spell it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. But the stuff that's good is what matters. There, who cares if 90% of movies are terrible? Like they're the ones that change your life. The mm -hmm. books, the people, the, the the comedians, the shows, the music. And even the terrible things have good moments, beautiful moments. Some, not all. Your podcast being an example of not all. I've literally just, I keep listening for something good. You know, something good. In all fairness, none of my guests have anything to offer. <laughs> it's not on me. I try. Yeah. Yeah, well, I wish you'd talk a little less in your podcast. It's a little excessive. I only listen for the underwear commercials. She's underwear.com. Probably called Malice. I think you did this, um, I haven't seen you do it in a while, but this kind of commentary on a, on a debate, or um, I think it was with Rand, like an Ayn Rand debate or something Oh yeah, like Malice at the Movies. I watched the Malice video the movie, and, and yeah. I broke it down. That was yeah. really great. I wish you did that more. I've I haven't done live streaming in a long time. Yeah. I it was something I was doing a lot in New York, especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. I feel that um, I don't know. I'm having I got so many projects on the plate. Uh, I'm oh, this is something else I'm thankful for. Mm -hmm. This is something I'm very very thankful for, and I'm, I'm going to announce it here. Coming out of the closet finally. Go ahead. Who's the lucky guy? <laughs> You're the one in drag. 
Uh, guns he, out, guns out. He makes the me. Off. He makes me call him Sex Friedman. <laughs> uh, you like it? So I, I didn't say I did. <laughs> All right. Didn't even imply that. When I in, as you probably know, as you know, but as many people watching this also know, uh, Harvey Picar, who had the comic book series American Splendor, was the subject of the movie American Splendor. He wrote a graphic novel about me in 2006 called Ego and Hubris, which goes for like $150 on, on eBay. It's not worth it. Just download it. And I met Harvey because I wrote this screenplay about this band from the 80s called Rubber Rodeo. It's a real band. And the keyboardist, Gary Lieb, who passed away, rest in peace, Gary, introduced me to Harvey because he did the animation for the movie. And this script's been in my desk for tw over 20 years. And I realized, uh, thanks to my buddy, Eric July, who has some huge success with his comics, I could just produce this as a graphic novel. So I've got an artist, mm -hmm. we're getting it together, so I'm gonna make it happen finally. And it's some of the best writing I've ever done. I'm really proud of the story. It's kind of ironic reading it now because when you're a writer, obviously, you're, different books, you put different aspects of yourself into them, right? And this story is very, very dark because basically they did all the right things and they went nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. What I realized was, reading it now, that all these fears I had over 20 years ago about what if I'm not going to make it? What if you know I'm doing all the hard work and it's still not enough? Uh, now it's been disproven because I can at least pay my rent. You feel you've, like you've made it? So you said you could pay your rent. I feel that to make it is if you can pay your, if you don't have to have a boss. Mm -hmm. And you know how I really felt like I made it? Mm -hmm. This is going to sound like a joke and it's not. Uh, this is being an immigrant. I own, as you know, Margaret Thatcher's bookcases. Yes. So to me as an immigrant, to have her bookcases in my house, I've made it. You're right. It's not a joke. It's not, there's nothing funny about it at all. Not laughing. <laughs> Time to get serious. Oh, nice. Oh, now I'm more nervous. <laughs> and aroused. Uh, so what else are you thankful for? So we're both thankful for family. You, I mean, I'm, the fact that I can... Still get it up? What's that? N nothing, go ahead. I think as an author, mm -hmm. to be able to write what you want and have enough of an audience that it covers your living, that's as good as it gets as an author almost. You don't need to be Stephen King or some legend. It's like, you know, there's lots of standups who aren't like world famous, but yeah. they, they have a perfectly good living. They do their gig, they do what they love. I, I feel very, very blessed. You must be thankful for your career. Yeah, yeah, career-wise. But like, uh, I think the best part about it is just meeting, making friends okay. with people I admire. Okay. Quite honestly, just friends. I, you know, the people have gotten to know me. I hide from the world sometimes. I hit some low points, especially with this new, all the new experiences, and just the people that have been there for me and haven't given up on me. You know, there's days, and I'm sure you've had this also, where like I literally don't speak to someone the whole day. Mm -hmm. And in certain times of my life, it's really I, rem I remember very vividly. I I was in D.C. in '97. I was an intern, and that summer. Uh, DC closes down on the weekends. And I remember those weekends when like I got off the phone with like the third person, I knew there was no possibility anyone was gonna call and what that felt like. And it was dark and it was bad. 
Um, so I, I remember that those feelings of loneliness um, like a lot. I still feel alone like that sometimes. You don't feel, you don't feel alone? Um, not anymore. What's the, what's the reason you think? I, because I, there's like, I have a lot of people who I care about and who care about me. Uh, I, I mean, the thing about moving to Austin is I forgot how lonely New York got because it was like one after another, I lost everybody. And a certain, and then you start losing the places you go to. And then it was just like, holy crap, I'm very isolated. And here in Austin, there's not as much to do, obviously, as in New York. But there's a lot of people here. More people are coming all the time. Um, so if I ever want to like hang out with someone, you know, I've got a long list. Um, and these are people who I've known for a very long time. People who know me quite well, so I could be myself. Um, my awful, 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 awful self. Uh, and that is something I don't take lightly. Now you moved to Texas, it's gonna secede. Yeah. It's just a very- uh... Do you know what happened with that? No. I forget the guy's name and it's probably for the best. Monday, on Monday, a guy in the Texas legislature introduces a bill to have it on the referendum, to have a referendum for Texas to declare its independence. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, I'm on Rogan, me and him discuss it. I give it national attention. It was also really funny because a lot of people are like, these people have been in Texas five minutes, blah, blah. I go to the Texas legislature, meet with the guy, have a nice conversation. A month or two later, uh, unanimous, I think, he gets voted, kicked out of Congress because he got an intern drunk and was inappropriate with her. And at least it was a girl in this case. But yeah, so it's like... Um, that was my little Texas independence moment. Oh, it didn't go anywhere. It did not go anywhere. Well, But it's still part of the uh, platform, the Texas Republican Party. Yeah. It's fascinating that history is probably laden with stories like this of failed revolutionaries. We celebrate the heroes, but then there's the losers, like... Myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to mark that one as a failure and edit it out. And moving on, so thankful, yeah, friendships, right? But by the way, I wanna say just to you, I'm thankful in this lonely moments for people who write books. I've been listening to audiobooks a lot and reading a lot. I really like audiobooks actually. And just like, I don't know, I can just name random person, Serhi Plo, he's a historian I'm reading on the- Wait, I read him, what do you-, what do you... I just see he written a book most recently about the Russia-Ukraine war. He wrote another one that I read, didn't he write Empires, about- Empires, I think. The Fall of the Soviet Union, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was very, very good. He's great. He's I used extreme... him as a resource for the White Pill. He's uh, objective while still having emotion and feeling to it. Like, he has a bias. That's fine. Say, but without- um, a lot of times when you write a story that involves Putin, people are really ideological. Yeah. They don't really like, they don't write with the calmness and the clarity and the rigor of history. There's emotion in it. Like there's almost a virtue signaling. Yeah. And he, he doesn't have that, even though he is Ukrainian and has very strong opinions on the matter. Anyway, there's people like that and he's does an incredible job researching a recent event uh, like he says, uh, I was looking at everything that's been written about the war in Ukraine and realizing, you know, the old Churchill line that 
historians are the worst ones to write about current events except everybody else. And so he's like, I I'll, might as well just write about this war. And he does an exceptional job summarizing day by day the details of this this war. Anyway, so I'm just grateful for a guy like that. Uh, uh, so for me, there's, I'll, I'll name some historians I love. Arthur Herman, mm -hmm. uh, Victor Sebastian is, is probably my favorite. Um, David Petrusha, P-I-E-T-R-U-S-Z-A. When you are a historian, and I tried to do this to some degree in the white pill as, as much as I could, mm -hmm. yeah, when you take data and you make it read like a novel, this so you're learning about who we are as people, what had happened, but also it's entertaining and readable. That to me is like the acme of writing. And I have so much admiration. What does acme mean? Top. Okay. Uh, Zenith. Zenith, okay. Um, is this what writers do? They just come up with these incredibly sophisticated words? I'm impressed. Well, Acme- Because you could have just said the best of writing. Acme is also the company in like Bugs Bunny and Wile E. Coyote. It's always Acme, you know, Acme. Yeah. Yeah, like right. Acme bombs. Um, mm -hmm. When they are that good, it's it's just, it just, it just leaves me in awe. It's just- the Ron Chernow is another one. Who? He wrote the Hamilton biography. Oh, nice. Well, I, I have a lot of favorite historians about the whole uh, time period of World War II. William oh. Shire, people that lived during it especially. I really like those accounts. Uh, obviously, Solzhenitsyn is, uh, he's not a historian, but his accounts are sure. fascinating. You actually, how, how much do you talk about Solzhenitsyn? Never. Not much, right? No. Why not? I feel like I wanted to, I, I, there's nothing I could add to him. Oh, he did, he is the Michael Malice of the previous century. <laughs> no, he's talented, charismatic, and and skilled. So he's not the Michael Malice. Mm. Uh, yeah, I I did not. Um, I feel like I didn't. I didn't. I didn't read Gulag Archipelago for the White Pill. I feel, you didn't. I didn't. No. I feel I got a lot of it from Anne Applebaum, who's a very controversial figure. Her history books on the Soviet Union, I think, are superb. But she's also accused of being very much like a neocon and being a warmonger in contemporary times. Oh, I see. And I think comparisons between Putin and Stalin, although there is a Venn diagram, I, I think are a bit much because I, I think it's very hard to claim that, you know, if Putin conquered Ukraine, that there'd be a genocide. Yeah. I don't think, it, I think it's, that's a very hard argument to make. In these tense times, even the comparisons of what's going on in Israel on either side, comparisons to the Holocaust are also troubling in this way. Yes, and and I also don't like how that, you know, I got in trouble, there was some literal demon who works at the Atlantic. And, as opposed to a regular demon? As opposed to a figurative demon. I didn't know they employed demons. They, they exclusively employed demons <laughs> at the Atlantic. And mm -hmm. he was giving me crap this a couple of years ago on Twitter because I didn't think it's appropriate to refer to George Soros as a Holocaust survivor. And I'm like, listen, if you want to put him in the same context as Anne Frank, knock yourself out. But I think that's so completely disingenuous and and frankly repulsive to me morally to equivocate between figures like that. Um, and also to claim that anyone who is a billionaire, who is including Elon, including Sheldon Adelson, there's no shortage of these people. If you want to use your extreme wealth, use to influence politics, you have to be up for criticism. And, and to protect people, Bill Gates, to protecting these people from criticism, 
just on the basis of their identity is, is deranged to me. But also the Holocaust as a historical event and the atrocities within it are just singular in history. And right. so sort of comparing them. What's the utility? Right, you're yeah. just you're just basically trying to take this brand. I'm using that term, you know, in a very specific way, and latch. Like when they say uh, climate denial, no one's denying climate exists. So you're just trying to go off of Holocaust denial. I think it's shameless, and I think it's 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 gross, and it cheapens everything. Yeah, there's deep important lessons about the Holocaust. Yes, to me, the lessons are about how extreme it can get, and how fast. Yeah, and how fast. That's the one. So, you know, people ask, oh, are humans basically good? Are they basically evil? I always say they're basically animals. And I think people are, most people are almost fundamentally deranged and that there's basically this veneer of civilization and decency. And when shit hits the fan and we see this over and over, they do things that would have been completely unthinkable even to themselves five years ago. Most people are fundamentally deranged with a veneer of civility. There's a show called... Um, I think I disagree with that. Well, what's the show called? I'm having Alzheimer's because of the advanced the age. age. The skin I think care. You should, there's, a, just there's a show called I well, Think You Should Leave. It's a I sketch comedy show. you should leave. Okay, sorry. It's a sketch comedy show. And he captures <laughs> these great... How's your hair, princess? <laughs> he captures these great moments of just the... like just a very thin veneer of normalcy mm -hmm. and just the craziness that's so frequently lurking underneath. Another great example of this, when this is dealing with people who are literally crazy, have you ever seen the show Hoarders? So every yeah. episode of Hoarders, every there's two usually two people in every episode, but every episode has the same plot line. <laughs> veneer of normalcy, veneer of normalcy, veneer of normalcy, slight expression of concern, <laughs> full-blown derangement. Mm -hmm. And it always follows that exact pattern. Yeah, I don't know. I think the deep ocean of the human mind is is good. Like there's a longing to be good to others. I have seen literally no evidence of this. And I know everything's the deep ocean with you people, but like- <laughs> What do you mean you people? Pirates. Oh. I don't see it. You, you, What's that Mr. Parrot? <laughs> you He's an anti-Semite? No, that's not nice to say in front of such a large audience. You're embarrassing me, Mr. Parrot. Lex, you What's have- What's that, Mr. Parrot? You, you have- he's, he's a run-of-the-mill troll and barely an intellectual. That's not nice to say. That's not true. We talked about this. You have to see the good in people. You have seen personally yep. how quickly and easily it is for human beings to form outgroups. Yeah. And to just read others, just as I just did a minute ago with the Atlantic, completely out of the human race. And that happens constantly and very easily. Humans are tribal beings. So that does not, I don't see how that's compatible with this essential desire to do good. No, I, I think it's like in 1984, the two minutes of hate. There is a part of humans that wants to be tribal yeah. and wants to direct get angry and hateful, and then that hate is easy to direct. Yes. By especially people as you, uh, as an anarchist, talk about there are people in power that yes. can direct that anger. But I think if you just look at recent human history, the desire for good, the communal desire for good outweighs that, I think. Like most of life on earth right now, 
people are being good to each other it, in, a, in a most fundamental sense relative to how nature usually works. I, I Okay, I think you're both wrong about people and about nature. So nature is not inherently violent in the sense like, for example, if anyone has an aquarium or if you look at wildlife, yeah, you're going to have predator prey, but these animals are going to be coexisting and they're going to be ignoring each other for the most part, mm -hmm. right? And as for humans, you know, being essentially good, I think humans are essentially, not, to each other, you said, I think they're essentially civil and amiable, but that's not really being good. Good, I think, is a thing that gets illustrated when you're challenged, when there's yes, difficult situations. Exactly, yes. I mean, civility is a good starting point. And then when there's a big challenge that comes, people step up on average. I completely agree with you that human beings are capable of such profound goodness that it kind of makes you extremely emotional. And I, I certainly think that that's true. But I think that that's more unusual than is the norm. I see beauty everywhere. So do I, but that doesn't mean it's in every person. Not in every person, but in most people. I think, I mean, I wish there was a really good way to measure this. My general sense of the world is just, there's so much incredible, both in terms of economics, in terms of art, in terms of just creation as, as a whole that's happened over the past century, that it feels like the good is outpowering the bad. You just did the perfect segue mm -hmm. to the box. What's in the box? So. Is it your fragile ego? That's my, you stole my joke. You stole my joke. That was the joke I made at you before we recorded. You stole my <laughs> no, joke. No, it did. I, uh, I write your, all your material, you hack. <laughs> so, as you know, I have a lot of beautiful stuff in my house because yes. I think it's something very important, everyone listening. If you accomplish something that is great, a, some achievement, what I like to do is buy myself something to remember that moment. Because sometimes when it's hard, you forget you've done great things in your life. You've made accomplishments. It doesn't have to be some amazing factory. It could just be like my first job where I got a raise or you know what, I, I uh, anything. So there's this amazing sculptor named Jake Michael Singer. A singer who's a sculptor. And I mm. saw a piece of his- How's his singing voice? This is a joke, it's not gonna- I, 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 well, Hold on, I could go somewhere with this. Okay. How's right. his singing voice? Do you want me to write your joke for you? Yeah, what's the punchline? Um, Hard. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's, that's what she said. So I followed him on Instagram. He followed me back. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if I made, he says, what's the point of being an artist if the work I create isn't in the spaces of people I like and admire? He's a big fan of yours. You've given him, in our episodes together, give him joy. So he said, if I get a make Lex a sculpture, will he put it on the shelf behind him? And what that reminded me of is when I was a kid, uh, you read Batman comics and there's the Batcave and the Batcave has all this cool stuff in it. I didn't realize until much later that all of those things in the Batcave had an origin story. So the giant penny, the dinosaur, there was actually a story where that came from. So if you're a fan of a show, 
you can spot, oh, this is when this appeared, this is when that appeared, this is when that appeared. So he made you this sculpture. Uh, he lives in Turkey um, and it's called Chance Murmur. And it is, I haven't even seen it yet. It is absolutely beautiful. I just, so you wanna do a little unboxing? Yes. Okay. Uh, Axe or? Body spray. <laughs> All right, let's, let's do it. unbox. I'm so excited. He likes this out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, that Steven Seagal movie where there's like a stripper that comes out of the box? Uh, is that? Uh, under Siege. Okay. He's on a boat. You're not an action film guy. No. One. What does the pirate say when he turns 80? What? I matey. I matey. Oh. <laughs> oh. See, that's how I know you don't like humor. <laughs> I just don't like pirates. Well, your mom does. Do you play any musical instruments? No. Neither do you. I've seen your guitar videos. <laughs> okay. Here's a big piece of wood for you. That's what it feels like, just so you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my god. He's traveled across the world. So here's why his work speaks so much to me. So first of all, he's combining so many different references. It's Nike, the goddess of victory, right? It's that it looks like an angel as well. Um, the Italian Futurists, which is my favorite art movement from the early 20th century, they tried to capture motion in 2D or 3D form. Well, Jake, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for creating beautiful things. And I Thank you for caring about somebody like me and somebody like Michael, who really feel the love. That's the other thing. Thank he, you. He, when you have something that matters to you in your house and you're having a bad day, you can look at it and remember, you know what I mean? That spirit of joy. And I actually have a list here. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got a little rant ready. You wanna hear my rant? Yeah, let's go. You're, you're... One of the things that drives me crazy is when people, especially conservatives, think that all contemporary art is ugly or abstract or like literally garbage. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that, but so much of the stuff out there in galleries is not only not crazy expensive, but they're trying to sell things for people in their house. And these are young artists, you know, they're trying to add beauty. I have a list. So if you don't believe me and you think all contemporary art is garbage or terrible, go to the website or any of these places that I'm gonna rattle off, mm -hmm. look through them, and you're telling me that that it's not about creating beauty and joy and things in people's lives. So I don't have any relationship with any of these people. These are just some galleries I follow on Instagram. Outre Gallery, Antler Gallery, Giant Robot 2, Beinart, I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry, B-E-I-N-A-R-T, Spoke Art Gallery, VAR Gallery in Milwaukee, I was there. Mm -hmm. The pieces were not expensive at what, all. What kind of art are we talking about? Everything? Mostly paintings. paintings, mostly paintings. Some sculptures too, like this. Corey Helford is my favorite one in LA. Night Gallery, Vertical Gallery, Avant Gallery, Hive Gallery, Haven Gallery, and Curio Art Gallery. I'm telling you, uh, it's not exorbitant. This is not the kind of thing where you have to go to a museum and be like, this doesn't make sense to me. You look at it right away, you're like, okay, I know what this is, and it's beautiful, it's awesome. Um, and you're supporting 
someone who's young and creative trying to do something and make the world a better place. So I'm a big fan of the contemporary art scene. A lot of it is not great, but even the stuff that's not great is very rarely disgusting or gross. It's just like, okay, I've seen this before or something like that. Okay. So- there's, there, it's like, there was, there's like a standup where like, I'll pay money for the ticket. And someone's like, who's an opener? It's like, I wouldn't pay to see him perform, but he sure still made me laugh. That person is still more by far more good than bad. So a lot of this art isn't stuff I would own, but it's like, okay, I get it. I like it. Well, as the analogy goes, I, I really like going to open mics actually, because like fun, it sounds absurd to say, but funny isn't the only thing that's beautiful about stand-up comedy. It's the action. The agony. The, 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 it's, it's going for it. It's trying to be funny. It's taking the leap, trying the joke. And some of the best stuff is, actually funny but the audience is like three people two of whom are drunk and bored and you're still going for it and that's like that's the human spirit right there roseanne was telling me how gilbert godfrey would go on it was like three in the morning and it was like five her and like three other comics in the audience and like they all were just dying like he was just killing them who's your favorite comedian um dave smith who and cutscene. Favorite comedian. First on Norman McDonald. If you like put a gun to my head and I had to answer really quickly, that would be him. Okay. I would also say uh Louis C.K. Oh wow, yeah. Oh my god. Yes. But that's almost like a vanilla answer at this it, moment in, in history because it's like uh Louis C.K. is pretty radioactive. He is. Well, yeah. He does it the tough topics. Sure. The best. Mitch Hedberg, the wit. Of a, a good one-liner, it's great. I guess that's what Norm Macdonald was a genius yes. at. What about you? There's a, I mean, we're so fortunate to be here in Austin because of that comedy mothership. You go there and like people are just killing it. David Lucas is amazing. Ty yeah, Rivera, Ty Rivera probably did the best set I've seen since I've been here in Austin. And I, I watched him. And I'm like, this guy's even like even bitchier than I am. So I reached out to him. Um, so he's just terrific. David Lucas is another one, a buddy of mine. Um, you just Joe, said it Joe, twice, I think. Um, I'm thinking Dave Landau, excuse me. Yeah. Dave Landau. Um, Joe Old Mackey. Age is catching another, up. It's true though. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Dave Lucas. <laughs> you ever been to the Comedy Mothership? It's a great, <laughs> it's a great spot. Where is that? Is that in Austin? Austin. Is that where Willie Nelson is from? I haven't really. Go ahead. I'm oh, I heard a joke about that uh, the other week. What's the, oh, tell the tell a joke again. What's the only thing worse than giving head to Willie Nelson? What? If he says, I'm not Willie Nelson. <laughs> What's that, Mr. Parrot? I know he's not funny. He's better. He's He thinks he's better on Twitter. But that's not nice to say right in front of his face. <laughs> Just think how he feels. <laughs> the, the statue's Chance Murmur is judging you. Chance. It's called Chance Murmur. Chance Murmur. God, that's so beautiful. That's gorgeous. This is uh, this is another reason I hate cynicism, and I talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Even just on Etsy, there are so many small, not huge companies, like individual artisans who are creating great stuff um, and just making it happen. And it's really sad for me where people can't see that. Or if they're like, yeah. well, how could I be excited about a sculpture when 
blah, 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 in the Middle East. And it's just like, you can always look for an excuse not to look for joy, yeah. or you could look for an excuse to look for joy. Yeah, Etsy's incredible. I feel the same way about only. <laughs> About only, only fans. I, I can't even get that out of my mouth before laughing at my own failed joke. That's what she said. I did. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. That might be one of the first. That's what she said from Michael Malice. Yeah. I'm going to count that. I don't know what I'm going to do with mine because I got my own. Mine's mm-hmm. three feet tall. Just your, like your me. box was much bigger. Yeah. And um, it was giving me an inferiority complex. Uh, I think I'm going to invade Russia. <laughs> That's a Napoleon reference for those in the audience. Um, I don't know if I'm going to, I think I'm going to put it in my bedroom. So it's the first thing I see when I wake up. Put it in the bedroom? Yeah. Uh, do we get through everything we're thankful for? No, I've got lots of things I'm thankful for. What else? Friends, family, we said books. I'm thankful for career. I'm thankful for, I am thankful for, and I know people are going to lose their minds, and I can hear them flipping out already. Mm-hmm. I am thankful for social media. Yeah, I'm thankful for several reasons. First, it is a way for people to make connections that they couldn't have made in years past. Mm-hmm. That if you got some weird hobby, you can find that other person's weird hobby, and you make that connection. It's a great way to stay in touch permanently for people. Otherwise, you'd lose touch with you know yeah. whatever venue. And it's also a great way to expose uh, corporate depravity when you have these organizations that are dishonest i think the community notes thing on twitter is the greatest thing ever yeah, that's incredible i wish they would pay the uh, attention to the michael mouse account more often <laughs> you shouldn't be encouraging anyone to pay attention to my twitter account yeah it's a dumpster fire and yeah. i it, it, and i don't mean bridget i mean like literal bridget fetish uh, bridget but is amazing but your she twitter account here. makes yes uh not here she's, uh, i wish she did she's in georgetown which, no, I mean, in, in this, where we're sitting. Oh. It's a joke, Michael. Is it? Yeah. But I, I'm just really glad about, uh, it's another way for people who before would have felt very alone. I know it makes uh, some people do feel alone, but it's, for other people, it makes them feel connected. Uh, there's been a, a lot of talk about anti-Semitism recently. Yeah. What's what's your sense about this? Is there, is anti-Semitism like any other brand of hate? There's a lot of hate out there. No, I don't think it? it's like any other brand of hate. Because I don't think um, racists or transphobes or homophobes or misogynists or xenophobes argue openly or even not so openly for the killing of black Americans, transgender people, gay people, women, or immigrants. And it's not only something that's talked about, it's something that has actually happened and not just the Holocaust, but just centuries of pogroms. Right. There's this great book that I read many years ago called The Satanization of the Jews. Camille Paglia recommended it and I read it. And they live in this this certain specific kind of anti-Semitism. And I I'm again I'm not talking about people who are against Israel or something. I'm talking specifically about Jew hatred. They have this moral calculus that Jews are the only people who are capable of good or evil, and Jews are exclusively capable of evil. And for example, if you look at the George W. Bush White House. You had W, you had Cheney, Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell, Donald Rumsfeld, a lot of these new neocon advisors. So if there's 10 people in a room and there's one Jewish person, it's his fault and the rest are Jew controlled. So again, 
they they only exist as a puppet of Jews in this kind of worldview. And it's like that, to me, if there were no Jews on earth, it is crazy to say that John Bolton and Liz Cheney and Lindsey Graham wouldn't be pushing for more war. That makes no sense to me. It's like the, you blame the Jews when bad things happen, but when a Jewish person does something good, it doesn't really matter. Or just wait, he's, he's gonna do something bad. Well, yeah, that's true. Human beings do good things and then they do bad things sometimes. But it only counts when that Jewish person does the bad thing. I wonder what's a way to fight anti-Semitism and fight hate in general. I think the only, or the best way, because I thought a lot about this, about how did gay Americans go from being universally hated and despised to the point that many people in the 80s went to their graves, those who had AIDS, without even telling their parents because they were so scared, to now Times Square mm -hmm. is just covered in pride flags. Mm -hmm. And I think, and this, this also works for Islamophobia and some of these other bigotry, is what I call the ambassador program. Because as soon as you know someone who is a member of a certain group, it is a lot harder to be bigoted against them. Because instead of this being this out group that's somewhere out there, it's like, wait a minute, I work with this guy. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. And maybe he sees things a little differently than me, but this guy is not a horrible human being. So I think the only way to fight any form of bigotry is to be a good example of the counter to these um, whatever archetype or stereotype is in the culture. Karl Marx wrote that religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of a soulless condition. It is the opium of the people, as the famous phrase goes. Do you think he has a point? No, I hate that quote. I absolutely hate it. Mm -hmm. I despise this sort of Reddit, internet, atheist activism for the simple reason that I know many people who in finding faith have become objectively better human beings. Yeah, they too. start living consciously, they take morality seriously, they try, we, we all fail, to be moral good people. So this sneering that these midwits, these marginally intelligent people have towards religious people. Now, lots of religious people use religion to rationalize their bad behavior or uh, you know sinful or big egos, so on and so forth. That exists, that's true. But to say that it never helps anyone and it's universally the, see Marx was talking about a period, I mean, I'll defend his quote, when his argument was, you know, the masses are being starved and oppressed, but they're promised you, don't worry, you'll have riches in heaven. Mm -hmm. So you should kind of yeah. like let yourself be pushed around now. And this is kind of this BS bargain that the people are being given. So that was, I think, the point he was making. It's not, it certainly doesn't apply uh, um, nowadays. Um, I, I've, I've been close to the family in the Midwest. They're good Christian people. I remember very specifically this guy, shout out to him, Sean Sherrod. I went to college with him, uh, David Lucas. Um, and have you checked out the comedy mothership? Great, great club. Is, is it Austin? Um, Willie Nelson. And I, you know, I was 17, 18, freshman year, uh, and I was reading all this criticism of the Bible, and I was like, look, this is in there, look at this in there. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he says, Michael, there's nothing you're gonna tell me 
that's going to make me lose my faith. And that was a very uh, self-aware and profound thing to say. As I've gotten older and I know lots of religious people, there's no part of me that um, thinks they're wrong or they should be mocked. It's like, it also reminds me of when people sneer at uh, addicts in recovery. They're like, alcoholism is a disease, it's a choice. It's like, wait a minute, you don't know what it's like to have your entire life ruined by drugs or alcohol. And if you have to tell yourself, you know, I have this disease and blah, 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 and that keeps you from drinking, and now you're a moral, upstanding person who's reliable and, and takes responsibility for their actions, I, I, I don't see the harm at all. So I, I think this kind of activist atheism is uh, cheap. I, I don't agree with it whatsoever, and I, I do not like that quote at all. Uh, but otherwise, big fan of Marx. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's... I, I think th there's a fan of mine, I forget who it was, apologies. He had this great quote, he goes, "The game," and this is me talking, he goes, the games people play to, to feel smarter than others is uh, depressing and annoying. And I think this kind of fedora internet atheism is a good example, because here's the other thing. If you've proven that someone else is stupid, that doesn't mean you're smart. You could both be stupid. Mm -hmm. So congrats, you prove someone else is stupid, who cares? And sneering in involved forms. Yes. In general is just not great. That's one of the things I block out people on social media instantly. You're not going to sneer at me in my space. You can sneer at me all you want in your space, but I'm not putting up with your crap. I don't know you. My space, great social network. Is that on 6th uh, six, six, six Street? AOL.com. Clang, clang, clang. That's how Lex comes. <laughs> like a Pavlov's dog. That was the sound before you get to see, spend 10 minutes waiting for an image of a lady load. <laughs> One line at a time. Yeah. Uh, I recently talked to uh, John Mearsheimer. I don't know if you know him at all. Uh, so he has this idea about uh, offensive realism. It's a way to analyze the world, international relations. And uh, the basic idea, and I'll run it by you and see what you think, is that um, states, nations want to survive and they try to do so by maximizing power, military power. And he talks about anarchy quite a bit in that one of these underlying assumptions of this way of viewing the world is that states are anarchic towards each other. Yes, that's true. And they operate under a lot of uncertainty. States cannot be sure that other states will not use military capabilities against them. Right. They want to survive and they want to use military power to uh, control the uncertainty, to protect themselves. So I, I, I disagree in that regard. And I, I see on your bookshelf, uh, I think the world is a lot closer to Brave New World than it is to 1984. And I think it is, if you look at, let's suppose China's influence in America, right? Mm -hmm. The influence is far more through soft power than military power. China doesn't threaten America through, you know, we're gonna kill you. It's more like their infiltration of universities, TikTok, things of that nature. Maybe this would have worked before the pop culture era, but I think one of the reasons we have this kind of American hegemony isn't just a function of American military. I think it's much more a function of American popular culture. When you're exporting ideas and culture, it makes 
other people in other countries feel closer to you and also feel regard you as a, as a friend and also to adopt your value. It's a great way to spread propaganda. It seems to correlate though, right? It's interesting. It's an interesting idea. What has more power, the viral spread of ideas or the the power of the military? It, it seems that the United States is at the top of the world on both. That's true. And so it's hard to disentangle the two. Let's look at Europe. American culture is very popular in Europe in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like the best music comes out of Sweden, Swedish indie pop. They're singing in English, you know, even though it's so on and so forth. None of this is a function, maybe it's a function of post-World War II to some extent, but I don't think it's a function of American bases there. I think it's a function of we're exporting our music, our TV shows and our movies. Yeah. It's interesting if the battleground will be Brave New World, the battle of ideas. I think it's clearly Brave New World. I, 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 it's so much cheaper. And again, this is one of the dark sides of social media to use influence than it is to use threats. I don't think, I think COVID is a good example of this. Like so much of the pressure, yes, there was authoritarianism, but it was the fact that everyone bought into it, rightly or wrongly. But the vast majority of the population was behind all of these things. And that was through persuasion, not because, and because people are begging for it to come back in many cases. Mm -hmm. So who's funding you? Which intelligence agency? Mossad. 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 This is how you do great interviewing. See, he didn't even expect that. <laughs> okay. Mossad. What's that, Mr. Parrot? <laughs> that, Mr. Parrot? <laughs> you knew it. But you didn't have any documentation, did you? I think Mr. Parrot is threatened by the better wings <laughs> on Chance Murmur. He gets like that when he's turned on. He's oh, not okay. threatened. You can't wait until he's, uh, all three of us are alone together. It's gonna be one hell of a party. Beaks and feathers everywhere. <laughs> and metal. Yeah, this thing is beautiful. It's ridiculous. You have, you have actually, a lot of really cool stuff at your at your place. It's so what, fun. What um, what's a what's a cool thing that stands out to you? Maybe a recent addition. So I went to the Dallas Museum of Art last year for my birthday, and there was a painting I liked, mm -hmm. and I googled it, and I saw the auction for that exact painting, and it was like I think three grand, which is not cheap, but not something you think you think in a museum I can never afford something like this, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was in, um, I went to Houston with some friends, the side surfs, uh, Natalie, who made the oh, cake yeah. of you. Cake. Um, terrified my mom. This, did it? Yeah. Huh? No, it's not the cake that terrified my mom. It's you, Michael Malice, cutting it off, <laughs> cutting the face off <laughs> and laughing maniacally. <laughs> Well, Natalie's pregnant. She's going to have a daughter named Daisy. So congrats, oh, to congrats to Natalie. But I was in the museum with them and there was a statue of Thoth, who's the Egyptian god whose head is an ibis. It's a bird with a long beak. And Thoth is the god of the moon, god of knowledge, and supposedly he invented writing. Hmm. So I thought, you know what? I've always loved ancient Egypt. I know a lot about it, and especially the mythology. It would be really cool as an aspiring author to have an ancient Egyptian Thoth statue in my house. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out that the Egyptians also killed and mummified ibises and buried them with scribes. And 
a week after I went to the museum, there was an auction for an ibis mummy. Mm -hmm. And I have it now in my house, still in its bandages, overlooking my desk. And we all know it's going to come to life and peck out my eyes yeah. and write with my blood. But that is one of the recent cool additions. Another thing I have, which is like in terms of, holy crap, I've made it. Uh, I have a, an original Patrick Nagel painting. And if people don't know the name, he's like the 80s artist. Uh, he did the Duran Duran cover. He, we never see him in nail salons. I have a male, which were very rare for him to do. Um, so that's two of my kind of favorite yeah, pieces. What? He only drew women predominantly. I have one where he drew a male, like a, it was a guy in a, like a jean ad or something. Hmm. And now I'm looking forward to, so Jake made me a three foot tall sculpture called Future Murmur, which I am ecstatic to get. Just remind yourself how, how many fascinating, beautiful people there are out there. And just the victory and, and holiness and mm -hmm. technology and speed and how many people have, you know, fought so that I could do what I do. Yeah, that's another thing I'm grateful for. Just like the 100 billion or so people that came before us. Yeah. And and also the trillions of life forms that came before that. Oh God, I've gone down this, this trilobite rabbit hole buying fossils because as a kid I thought trilobites were the coolest thing and yeah. I've got like 15. Yeah. And what's interesting is when you buy trilobite fossils on eBay, they're listed as used. Because <laughs> it's got to be newer used and according yeah. to the programming, so it's used, yeah. Yeah. That, but just look, thinking about all that history, just all the life forms that came before, it seems like a really special thing we have going on Earth here. Oh, well, yeah, I, I think that that's that's very fair to say. But I also think this kind of is like live life to the fullest. You know, Camus talked about living to the point of tears. Yeah. Especially on behalf of people who didn't have that privilege. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I dedicated the white pill to my parents who got me out of the Soviet Union and all the kids who never could. And it's like, when I die, I want everyone else to, not only they're all obviously going to be happy, but yeah, like I'm not here. Enjoy what you, you, you live for me because I can't have that privilege anymore. What do you think about Camus as a writer? I don't like his novels at all. Oh, you don't? It's at all. Yeah, you've talked shit about The Plague to me. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I think the book is pointless. It's fascinating. Because all you need to do is read the synopsis and then you get it. Like, I don't think his book- Isn't that true for most books? No. I mean, like you could take, I, I don't know. I just don't agree at all there. I mean, it's it's catcher in the rye. There's a lot of books that are seem trivial. I don't think it seems trivial, but I think- Animal point, Farm. Animal Farm is a methodical step-by-step -step examination of a transformation from one thing to another. The plague is not that. It's a methodical examination of what a society is like under the plague, which could symbolize a lot of things, including the plague directly, or Nazi Germany, or ideological movements, or it's it's similar to Animal Farm, maybe not as effective in terms of using this kind of symbology. I think Animal Farm has a narrative, and I'm gonna spoil the whole plague, the book, The Plague. Okay. There's a, there's a town, I believe, in Oman, mm -hmm. a plague descends, people struggle to deal with it, and the plague vanishes as quickly as it came. The end. Yeah, but there's the victims, the the people that take advantage of it. There's the doctor that amidst the absurdity and the evil of the plague is fighting to do good. 
nothing for me. It does nothing. Okay, for me. well, I can spoil Animal Farm. There's uh, pigs. There's animals at a farm, <laughs> and they the humans are abusing them, and then the animals overthrow the humans. But then <laughs> the pigs uh, become just like the humans. It, the lesson, kids, is that uh, power corrupts no matter whether you walk on four or on two. I thought the lesson was that pigs are the most human-like animals on the farm. I thought the, <laughs> I thought the lesson was that there's no sugar candy mountain. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You've interviewed a lot of people. Yeah. What have you learned about getting to the soul of a person, the soul of an idea from interviewing? Just how to do a good interview. First of all, I'm not interviewing just random people. I'm, I'm interviewing people who are accomplished. It's not a random group. That's self-selecting for something different. But I think that people um, love to, and this is very understandable, love to feel seen. So if you're someone who's done something, even if you're like the best guinea pig breeder in America, to have someone interested in your work and ask and listen to what you're saying. Because I remember every book I've written, you know, I have friends and I wouldn't stop talking about, you know, the, 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 the person I'm writing with or, you know, the North Korea. And at a certain point, I'm sure they're like, all right, I don't, I don't care about this anymore, but like it takes over your brain. You know what I mean? So if you are someone who has an interest or a hobby, I, I'm sure to some extent, maybe your friends or family are sick of talking about it, or you don't want to talk about it with them. You want to have, that's the private life where you could just be yourself. So I try to, and this comes from my co-authoring background, when I'm talking to people to ask questions that they haven't heard before. Um, there's a possibility uh, that this actor I'm a huge fan of um, is gonna be on my show. I don't wanna spoil everything. Mm -hmm. And he's got a very specific role that he's known for. And I know I'm gonna, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I know it's gonna be annoying for you talking about this one role, but my goal is to ask questions that haven't, you have, aren't sick of asking, mm -hmm. uh, having been asked. Porn star or? Uh, no, not a porn star. That joke failed also. Edit out. <laughs> what do you know about breeding guinea pigs? You mentioned it. I'd love to hear. I don't know anything. I, I'd love to hear more about it. Uh, this is, I always use this as an example. I so said there's, there's, you, you meet someone at a party who breeds guinea pigs, right? There's two approaches. Either you're weird, get it, okay. Or sit down and tell me everything. Yeah. And I'm, very much. And all the people I like are, are the second group. Mm -hmm. When you meet someone who's doing something unusual and are passionate about it and, you know, are good at it, like that to me is the mother load. Yeah, that to me uh, also is the thing I enjoy the most. It's like Cause, people and then that it's are like, passionate who, about it. Who thing. do you guys hate? Do you guys hate the hamster people? Do you hate the rabbit people? Yeah. There's got to be someone that you guys look down on. Because <laughs> like the marine aquarium people look down the freshwater aquarium people. Yeah, it's and a then, hierarchy. Yes, there's always going to be a hierarchy. This is where the left anarchists and I disagree because they think you can have egalitarianism. There's going to be a hierarchy. Hierarchies emerge. Yes. There's no anarchy in the guinea pig world. No, it's just a different kind of anarchy. Somebody's always breeding somebody else. Yes. And looking down on the others. Yes, yeah, someone's the other. Yeah. Whether it's the hamster people, the rat people. And everybody's breeding. Yeah. Hmm. By the way, are you a... Uh... Anarcho-capitalist? What kind of, what flavor of uh, anarchist are you? I'm an anarchist without adjectives. Okay, I like right. them all. all right. The black flag comes in many all colors. All right, all right. You're quoting your, yeah, no, I understand. You're, it, was, it was a beautiful line in the book. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
I think the anarcho-capitalists don't give the left anarchists enough credit, especially for their courage. And I do whatever I can in my power to talk about people like Emma Goldman whenever possible. Do you still think uh, that are some people better than others is a good litmus test? Yes, it's worked 100% of the time. And for you, the answer is yes. I never answer. Oh. There's two of them. What <laughs> <laughs> are you getting all Hitchcock up in here? <laughs> oh, hey, careful. I always got your back. Uh, what little habits in your life make you happy? Now that you're in Austin. Oh, my God. I was prepping for this interview, mm -hmm. and I imagined this coming up. Mm -hmm. And I knew that as I explained this, you know how sometimes when someone is, tells a story, like at first it's amusing, then it's amusing and concerned, and then you're like, holy shit, like, mm -hmm. like where's the exit? Yeah, I'm getting nervous already. You should. So I'm going to tell you Something I've told only a couple of people. This is my absolutely mm -hmm. off the charts autistic approach to shaving. Oh. So I have this insane system. Uh, you asked about habits that give me joy. I used to hate shaving. I used to yes. hate it. There's something called wet shaving. Mm -hmm. So wet shaving is you get the brush. Mm -hmm. You get the soap that's in a canister, yes. you stir it up, you paint your face, and then you shave. The thing is, there are dozens of these shaving soap companies, Yeah. okay? So I tried a couple of hundred of these soaps because you're testing for scent, you're testing for what the lather thickness, and also how smooth of a shave it gives you. Yeah. I have it down. I'm not making this up. I'm not this creative. I haven't down to a cycle of 67 soaps. Yeah. Okay. So this cycle. A cycle. So 67. Yeah. When I use up one soap, that is a slot that I will have to try new ones. Mm. And I will try new ones in that slot until I get one that I like. And then that slot is filled. And so right now I have 67 that I use and I have 86. That candidates are, like in candidates, the queue. yeah, in the in the queue. Do you label them? Do you remember like which one is which? Well, they they all have beautiful labels. I mean, these are artisans who are creating these amazing things. So there, I would encourage everyone to try this hobby. Who's a guy? It's so much fun. I will give a shout outs to the companies that that are the best. Mm -hmm. So the best company, in my opinion, is a company called. Uh, they just changed the name because you know what they're originally called. I'm not joking. Yeah. Grooming department. <laughs> and now it's like- it's not a bad name. Yeah, but it has certain connotations in yeah, different discourse. So now he changed- Contemporary discourse, yes. He changed his name to Ion Skincare, A-I-O-N. That's the the sense of the most sophisticated, the most diverse, and the, the soap is just really high quality. Mm -hmm. Another amazing company is Barrister and Man. And if I'm gonna tell you to try one, it's called Cheshire. Mm -hmm. uh, he comes out with new ones every month or so. Uh, a lot of it's miss, a lot of it's hit, just great, great quality stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, another great company is Chiseled Face. They make something called Midnight Stag, which basically smells like a garage. It's one of my favorite soaps of all time. Yeah, what what makes for a good smell for Michael Mouse? I have sixty seven answers. So some so of them smell into converting. Some words. are citrusy. Some are industrial. Some so garage is more industrial. It's, it smells like a garage. Yeah, Midnight Stag. It smells like a garage. Some are fun because there's smells that smell like other things. For example, there's a scent in my queue called Finding Scotty. It smells like Swedish fish. Um, Another great company is Phoenix Shaving. um, And they have one called Aloha Smackdown. It smells like Hawaiian Punch. Mm -hmm. They had one called Yule Ham that they made for me special. smells like a ham. Mm -hmm. They had a ramen one, Rockin' Ramen. um, smells like cup of noodles. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're a great... And every year they do an advent calendar where you, for 12 days, you have a little sample of a, so- a soap and a sample of the aftershave. Nice. Um, so those are, I, I'm forgetting someone and I'm feeling angry that I'm doing it, but those are some of the, oh, and uh, Katie's Bubbles is great. They're vegan um, out of New Jersey. Uh, they've got one called uh, Knee High to a Grape. It smells like grape soda. Um, I think those are the Biggest names off the top of my head. W- will that list converge down to a small set eventually, or no? Well, sixty-seven see, down to. Well, no, it's it's down to it's sixty-seven. So oh, so it's always keeps right. So if there's a slot, then you know what I mean. Like I'll fill that. You just know I'm saying. Oh, so you will forever have the variety of sixty-seven. Yes. Huh. You know. You know what. You know how sad my brain is when I when you were telling me this, I was like, I wonder how many soaps are left in Michael Mouse's life. Like you can count your life by days, by months, by years, or by soaps. That is like, depressing, that is very not, dark. Because each each experience of shaving is a little beautiful experience. Yes, it is. And how so many fun. do you have left in your life, right? That's true. Yeah. I gotta tell you, there's something else. There's a term called, my friend Jackie, taught me called touching pan. It's a makeup term. So basically when you use it and you can see the bottom, mm-hmm. that's like a big moment. Oh, it's a great thing. Yeah, it's like, well, it's kind of fun. I'm telling you, like, people can scoff. It is such a fun, and there's a lot of us online who are into this whole space. It's yeah. really, really fun. When did you first discover this? Can I curse? Yeah. Fuck you, Cole Stryker. Because mm-hmm. I was staying at my friend Cole's house in LA. Yeah. Fuck you, Cole. Fuck you, Cole. Cole is like one of the biggest hipsters I know. He's got the the shirts with the pearl snaps and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm staying at his house because I was doing Rogan. And he goes, oh, have you heard of this wet shaving thing? And he goes, look, this one's Prorezo. That's the, like the Italian grandpa soap, mm-hmm. which is also a great one. And I went down this rabbit hole and I'm like, I don't even know how many how much money I spent on this. And it's all because of him. Oh, but it's like a happy fuck you. Like, fuck yeah, you, yeah, Cole. Yeah, you, I yeah. love you, Cole. <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, just, just, thank yes, you. Yes. That's a good idea for a tattoo. Fuck you, Cole. <laughs> uh, how do, do you have advice on how to be happy? Yes. There's a lot of loneliness and sadness in the world. Uh, here, I can give a very easy piece of advice that worked a lot for me. Instead of telling yourself that you have these ridiculous standards, tell yourself, I can be better, right? I don't have to be a great writer. I could be a better writer. I don't have to be a great podcaster. That will never happen. I could be a better podcaster. I could be a better person. I could be a better uh, at the gym. I could be better with my time. 
And when you regard things in those, and especially if you have metrics that you can go by, you know, for example, I'll run this many miles a day, things you have control over. If you, especially as males, when you have this chart and the data is telling you you're improving, right away, it's like you have this sense of accomplishment. So I think that is a really great way to uh, find. And if something is not working in your life, let's suppose you don't have friends, right? There's the internet. Mm-hmm. How do people make friends? Try things out. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to, things that blow up in your face? Well, you're, you're, you'll learn something at least. Don't be f- afraid of making mistakes. When I was a kid, I was so scared of having things under control. So like I would never have to get hit in the face metaphorically. And then I realized, and you realize this as well, everyone who's important gets hit in the face. Look at the president, whoever the president is. It becomes a matter of being strong enough that you could take getting hit in the face. Mm-hmm. So that is a big important switch in your thinking. Yeah, there's a Bukowski quote I wrote down. Sometimes you climb out of bed in the morning and you think, I'm not going to make it. But you laugh inside, remembering all the times you felt that way. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's a part of me that, that's like that. There's some days where I feel like this is the worst day of my life. And then like shortly after, I think, like chuckle at that. Yes. Like just knowing the ups and downs of the brain and the mind and life and all that. You ever been depressed? Yeah, of course. I'm more anxious than depressed. I don't really get depressed. I like, yeah, but I've been depressed. Like low points. Yeah, but I think I, I distinguish depression between low points, right? Like if things are going bad and you feel bad, that makes sense. But I, I when I think of depression, I think of someone who feels bad when things aren't bad. Like it's in, mm. it's by de- to me, it's like almost by definition irrational. Well, yeah, and there's different kinds of. I like there. There's a exhausted kind of depression where you're not right. it's not so much sad as you're not don't want to do anything you right. you're, you don't want to live you don't want to what's the yeah, yeah like, what's the it's, point it's, it's, what's it's the point rap, yeah um and like an extreme self-critical negativity which i'm also scared of because my brain is generally very self-critical because you're not taking up magnesium do you take it rectally or in the mouth you take it rectally okay but as right. for the, as for the magnesium you should take it as a pill <laughs> okay what the way your mom explained it then is is way different. <laughs> uh, what are you most afraid of? Holy crap! That's that's I I I'm trying to think of anything I'm afraid of. You know, in 1984, with the I, I thought like even just like if I wanted to torture you. Hypothetically, well, you're well. Mission accomplished. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, in terms of, I, I'm scared of increasing authoritarianism, but that's not personal, and that's not that's something that I don't think is as much of an imminent concern as, like, let's say, in Canada. Are you scared of death? No. You think Camus was scared of death? No. He just accepted it as. It's look. I I I can. I honestly feel like if I died tomorrow, I did pretty good with what I had. Like, I, I think I did things that matter to me. I think I moved the needle on things that matter to me. I think I've been a good uh, friend to the people I care about. Um, I've saved a couple of lives. So I, 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 can, I, I think it's a very low bar for someone to be able to go to their grave and say, you know, I left the world a better place than I found it. I don't think it's that hard. You ever been betrayed? Oh God, yes, of course, haven't you? 
Not as often as I would have predicted. Yeah, the Russian upbringing, like, it's like expects everyone to be like, just it's a time bomb before they betray you. I've been betrayed, of course, yeah. Yeah. You value loyalty? I do. And I also made it a point to not let that betrayal color my future interactions and regard that as the universal or the norm. Yeah. I think that's very important. Me too. And also I feel bad, I, I, I've gotten Lex enough that I feel bad for the person who betrayed me because it's just like, they didn't need to do this. And at some point, okay. if you betray someone, you know, and you know you're not a good person. I believe that. Yeah. Like even if you tell yourself there's something I had to do, you still know you had to do a bad thing to someone who didn't deserve it. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. In in my situation, I still think good thoughts and empathize with, with with the people that have done me wrong. I don't empathize with them, but I sympathize with them. My English is not good enough to know the difference. Empathizing means you're putting yourself in their shoes. Sympathizing means you feel uh, bad for them and, and wish them well. Yeah, I, f I wish them well. Yeah, but I don't put myself like I, it's it's very hard for me to empathize with someone who betrays. Uh, someone that they care about. Because that is something, yeah. it's not that just I think I'm such a great person, yeah. it's that I feel guilt very strongly. So if I did that to someone who trusted me, I would really, it would fuck up my head for a long time. Yeah, but maybe they were in pain. Maybe they were desperate. Maybe sure, they were sure. to the to, to the wall. Sure. They felt that way. Sure, well, that's a sympathy thing, not really an empathy thing. Yeah, yeah. Loyalty is a fascinating thing. Yes. I value trust a lot. I know you do. Especially because you're in such a public, both of us, we're in you know, very public positions. You have to be very careful who you surround yourself with. It sucks. Does it? Well, it, it's, it's, it sucks because it's hard to, uh, I usually just trust everybody. That's okay. That's crazy. But what's the alternative? To be, have a filter. Well, I have a filter in terms of who I interact with. Okay. But within the, you know, I see the good in people, but then you, you, you know, in the in the very rare instances that might turn. Okay. And yeah, it just sucks. It breaks my heart. Yeah, I hear you. I completely agree. Has your heart ever been broken? Yes. Love? Yes. I'm just so relaxed right now and Good. happy. Relaxed and happy. Good. This is making me really happy. It's so, it, it, again, it's beautiful on like eight different levels. I think that's the deepest thing I'm thankful for is just how beautiful people are, how beautiful the world is. I really, and people are gonna laugh and I welcome it, that's fine. I really sometimes feel like the guy in American Beauty looking at the plastic bag, dancing in the wind. Mm -hmm. And he's brought to tears because of how much beautiful life is. And a lot of people feel they need to sneer at that scene and, and Ricky, Ricky Pitts, whatever. And I think he's got it exactly right. I think he does too. Well, in the end, you and I will be both laughing. That's exactly, and right. And also seeing beauty where other people see garbage. And I'd rather be the person who sees beauty than the person who sees garbage. Yep. Well, 
When I look at you, I see beauty. When most people see garbage. And it's really unfair, Mr. Parrot, that you keep saying that. But all jokes aside, man, I'm really grateful for your friendship. And I'm really grateful for you as a person. Thank you so much for talking today. Thank you so much for talking to me throughout all these years. Thank you for being who you are. You are welcome. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Michael Malice. To support this podcast, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, let me leave you with some words from Andre Guide. Man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.